Welcome to the Church at Rocky Peaks Downloadable Messages. This week, we continue our four-part series entitled, The First Family's Christmas, Life Lessons from the First Christmas. And today's message is from our student ministries pastor, Dave Cox, entitled, Mary, Planning for the Unexpected. We don't plan the unexpected, you can't. But if it's uh, something very true to think about is, if we would be honest, all of us do have some kind of plan, what we think is going to be happening with our lives. It may be written, it may not be written. But if you're a kid, when you turn 16, what are you looking forward to? Getting your license. Uh, As you get older, uh, most girls can tell you when they want to get married. Uh, And when they want to have kids. And um, as you look at it, this is when you should be getting your job. This is when you're going to be financially free. (laughs) Um, This is when you're going to retire. We have some kind of idea in our mind what our life should probably look like. And that's a good thing to do. But the truth is, all of us are going to have things that come up in our life that are absolutely unexpected. Even if you're walking with God, you could be doing everything right. And those are really confusing times because you have to start to wonder, is God, what is he doing with me? He's playing God with my life. He's messing with me. He's messing up my plans. And it's hard to figure out how to respond to that. And uh, it, before we jump in today, I want to clarify a few things right from the top. First is this. If we'd be honest, we have to admit that I mess up most of my own plans. Isn't that true? Don't we all mess up most of our own plans? Our own poor choices, our own stupidity, things like that. Well, uh, we saw this recently on a pastor retreat we went on. Uh, <laughs> Brent, Stan, uh, Pastor Mike, and I were on a retreat, and um, I never noticed this before, but occasionally, Pastor Mike can be a little absent-minded, and uh, we, were, uh, we were going to the same restaurant on a regular basis. We'd go f- for breakfast, sometimes at dinner, and besides missing the driveway, usually every time we went there, <laughs> um, he parks his car, and I remember we're walking in the restaurant, and then Stan, Brent, and I kind of looked at each other like, uh, Mike, you want to get, like, your car is still running. <laughs> oh, yeah, all right. Uh, <laughs> Uh, don't ask him if it was locked or not. <laughs> uh, but, uh, you know, we mess up our life a lot, don't we? We can do silly things, dumb things, and things that can have long-term consequences. We can mess up our life. Another important thing, I think, to clarify at the top is this. God is not the author of evil. A lot of times in life, we get hurt by other people. If you've ever suffered abuse, ever been a victim of rape, those are devastating events. God has an amazing way of even taking our deepest pain, turning around for his good, but he's not the author of evil. That's why he says, pray for my will to be done. But we can be hurt by other people. But there are times, and this is important to clarify too, that God will sovereignly, providentially, supernaturally work out circumstances, change them around because, because he has something different planned for our lives. He throws a curve. He's up to something. That's what he did about 2,000 years ago at the first Christmas. Nobody really had this on their calendar. Every time anybody heard about it, it threw off all their plans. You think of King Herod. King Herod, he wanted to be king of the Jews. Now there's a Messiah coming. That's a bummer. He wanted the glory. This guy's going to steal it. Um, You think about the shepherds planning another quiet night, as Brent talked about, besides the annoying dogs in the background. Uh, (laughs) The angels appear, kind of change their direction. But you think about the religious leaders of the day. 
They were absolutely threatened by Jesus. And they were disappointed because they wanted a political leader. And that's the exact opposite of what Jesus was. He says, I'm building a different kingdom, a heavenly kingdom. But mostly, if you think about it, what about Mary and Joseph? Do you think that changed their plans quite a bit? Do you realize that they were probably barely teenagers? For a girl, how exciting is it to plan a wedding? Looking forward to that day. Do you think Mary was any different? Had to be totally excited about that. Um, She's planning, she's dreaming. An angel comes to her, says three things. Guess what, Mary? You're pregnant. (laughs) The father will not be Joseph. And by the way, the baby is God. It's amazing. Um, There's a story that talks about this. I'd like to turn there, read it, and we'll take some observations off of it. Turn to Luke chapter 1, verse 26. It's different than what your outline says. In fact, you'll notice there's not many verses in in Matthew, as your outline says. Uh, Luke chapter 1, verse 26. It says, In the sixth month... God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, it's a town in Galilee, to a virgin pledged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of David. The virgin's name was Mary. The angel went to her and said, Greetings, you who are highly favored. The Lord is with you. Mary was greatly troubled at his words and wondered what kind of greeting this might be. But the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary. You found favor with God. You'll be with child. And give birth to a son, you're to give him the name Jesus. He'll be great, and will be called Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, and he'll reign over the house of Jacob forever. His kingdom will never end. How will this be, Mary asked, since I'm a virgin? The angel answered, the Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. So the Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God. Even Elizabeth, your relative, is going to have a child in her old age. And she who was said to be barren is in her sixth month. For nothing is impossible with God. And listen how Mary answers. I'm the Lord's servant, Mary answered. May it be to me as you have said. Then the angel left her. Now if you look at this story, it's amazing. Things are going great. But you have to understand something. When Mary got this news, things changed immediately she probably broke this news probably first to joseph what was joseph's response (laughs) honestly like how do you explain that seriously i'm serious an angel has i'm serious an angel has come and told me this you know did she lose it who is this who is this person i'm getting and who i'm engaged to do you want to know what joseph's first response was in matthew chapter 1 19 it gives a little insight and this is what it says Because Joseph, her husband, was a righteous man and didn't want to expose her to public disgrace, he had in mind to divorce her quietly. What seems to be an amazing blessing, God takes her life on a left-hand turn and the first consequence seems like her fiancé is going to be leaving. Now, if God's in this, what's going on? You ever felt that in life? That you're walking with God, doing what he says, and all of a sudden something has taken a turn and things don't look like they're working out. 
it's really hard to respond to God because our first reaction, we're confused, might be angry. Who knows what emotions you're, we're battling at the time? So it's a great question. You know, how do you respond to God in times like that? How do I respond to God when life doesn't go as planned? I think the Bible gives us a lot of handholds that we can really use to walk through this process because I really believe that there's a godly way to respond to this. Um, it's going to seem simple, but it's going to seem countercultural in a lot of ways. If you have your outlines, you can follow along. The first thing, how do you respond to God when life doesn't go as planned? First thing I'd say is this, is listen to him. Listen to him. Why would I say that? Because he's getting your attention. He's getting your attention. Listen to him. He's getting your attention. I used to teach karate for years, and I loved teaching the little kids. It was, it was just a lot of fun. And there's a technique. If you ever have taught kids, there's a technique that you learn that you've got to change things up a lot. You've got to change things up quickly. Do something unexpected a lot. So you call a different command. They're doing one thing. They're expecting to do, to do another thing. Boom, you change it up. Change the plans. Why do I do that? Or any teacher do that? Because you want to get their attention. You want to help them stay focused. You want to help them listen. In a similar kind of way, God will occasionally do that in our lives to get our attention, to help us to listen. Um, for Mary, because this event was so over the top, he literally sent an angel to tell her, you're giving birth to the Messiah. Time will now be split. B.C. and A.D., birth of this child it's a big deal we don't have that luxury usually god's normal method is not to send an angel into our bedroom to give us a heads up of what's coming god has other ways of getting our attention if you ever look through the bible you can track circumstances that god has used to get people's attention as i thought about this you remember esther god uniquely puts her in a very unique spot when there's potential genocide of the jews She's got to figure out how to respond. Think that got her attention? Especially if you know her race. Uh, you think of Moses. He's put in exile into the desert where he learned to listen to God. Got his attention. The children of Israel, you know that. They were sent off into the desert. Big lesson, too. Listen to God. When they'd fail to listen, guess what happened? Another lap around the desert. And they didn't learn very well. 40 years. You think of Jonah. You know what the Bible says about Jonah? He didn't want to do what God wanted to do, but God wanted him to listen. He wanted to get his attention. This is what it says in Jonah 1. It says, The word of the Lord came to Jonah, son of Amittai. Go to the great city of Nineveh and preach against it, because its wickedness has come up before me. But Jonah ran away from the Lord and headed for Tarshish. He went down to Joppa, where he found a ship bound for that port. So he gets on board the ship. Verse four says, then the Lord sent a great wind on the sea and such a violent storm arose that the ship threatened to break up. You know the story. Everyone thinks the ship is going down. Jonah says, it's me. I'm just telling you guys, it's me. It's you. Toss him. Yeah, they toss him overboard. Basically, he gets swallowed by a great fish. You think that got his attention? Think he started to listen? He did. Even at the end of the story, one of my favorite parts, God gives him this amazing shade vine that grows over him. And, you know, 
he kind of turns off a little bit. And so what happens? Just as quick as God gives the shade vine, it's gone and you're in a sweltering desert. Do you think that got his attention? Yes, it did. Amazing story. I'm just giving this as an example that sometimes in our lives, God will do that for us because there's nothing more important than for us to have his attention, for us to give our attention to him. Um, now, why is he, we do this? Because we're distracted easily. We've got a zillion distractions around us. We have everybody we love to talk to, and sometimes God's the last person on the list. He wants to get our attention. And sometimes even when he's speaking, we miss it. There's a show that I watched recently. It's about how we miss the obvious so often that's going on around us. It's a fascinating show. So what they, they did this stuff, and they had these focus groups, and they're having them watch these things, and they're missing obvious stuff the whole show. It's like, what is wrong? Who did they pick for this, these people to watch this thing? One of them, they had these people playing basketball, and they said, just count the number of jerseys on the certain team. How many people are on that certain team? Oh, okay, we could do that. So they're watching this thing, and they do this. Then they pause the tape and said, okay, how many did you see? Well, and they go through this thing. Everyone's giving their answers. They missed the fact that there's a guy in a gorilla suit that walks onto the court in the middle of the players and walks off. Nobody caught it. And they said, now watch this. See how many will catch. I'm like, who are these? These are the stupidest people you've chosen for this focus group. Well, maybe it's because I'm a cop. I'm a professional observer. And so they, uh, they go back and they show the whole show again. And that guy in that gorilla suit, that stupid gorilla, was all throughout the entire show I missed the whole thing the entire time. <laughs> I'm one of those stupid people. But isn't that like it? Uh, we can miss things right in front of us. And a lot of times we do that with God. I'm convinced God is constantly speaking so much more than we catch. He's given ideas. He's given us thoughts. We can call them impressions. When Satan, demons, the enemy camp does that, we can call that temptation. And he does it a lot too. But most important, God wants us to listen. And so many times he may be throwing things out there, we're missing it, so he needs to help us to listen, to get our attention. I remember a time that God had to do this so clearly with me. Circumstances kind of got, just was blown away by what was happening. My parents were living up north in Tracy. They were moving up to Hume Lake. They got a job at Hume Lake. It's a Christian camp in the Sequoia National Forest. I thought that was so bizarre. They were never working in ministry before, and now they're, Weird circumstances are moving up there. It's just bizarre. Um, going up there, visiting, and then realizing that a girl that I used to date ended up getting a job at a thing called Joshua Wilderness Institute. They were looking, they were trying to find the perfect person to fit this leadership coordinator position. They weren't happy with anybody, but they found somebody who loves a beach a lot more than the mountains, and she begrudgingly kind of went up there. And it was a girl I used to date. Long story short. God puts us face to face as I visit my family. Can't miss her. It's it's not a big place. But God used that to get my attention and consider something new. And we got married. It was the Lord. So, but I'm just saying that was really an attention getting thing for me. It was a big decision. Well, for her too. Well, be honest, she used to run to avoid me. So, just to know. If you have a Bible, turn to Psalm chapter 81. I want to show you God's heart in this whole process. Psalm 81. Listen to God's heart to speak to us. I'm just going to highlight just a couple verses in here. In your dist- this is verse 7. In your distress, you called and I rescued you. I answered you out of a thundercloud. Verse 8. Hear, O my people, and I'll warn you if you would but listen to me. O Israel. Throw your name in there. O David. I would warn you if you just listen. 
Verse 11, but my people would not listen to me. Verse 13, if my people would but listen to me, if Israel would follow my ways, how quickly I would subdue their enemies and turn my hand against their foes. Why is it important to listen, even the insight we get from this psalm? Because God wants so often to save us from pain. He wants actually to make our life easier, better, more fulfilling. Um, As we go through these observations here and these steps, under each point, I'm going to give something called take a step. It'll help us to take a step to put into practice what we just heard. And we'll do that right now. How do you... How do you listen better? What's a step that we could even take in the right direction? And here's a simple thing I would say is record your impressions. Record your impressions. Let me tell you what I'm saying by this. Sometimes you might think, is this something from God? Is it not from God? I'm thinking this thing. I'm not sure. But just start journaling that. Write it out. And then make it a habit to start bringing that stuff before God. If it's of you, Lord, make this obvious and clear. If it's not, let it go away. I want to hear from you. But this will help you begin to fine-tune your listening skills with the Lord. Start to record your impressions. First way to respond to God when life doesn't go as planned is listen to Him. The second way to respond to God when life doesn't go as planned is follow Him. Follow Him. Why do I say that? He's redirecting your life. He's redirecting your life. Um, Something we've talked about that's really clear in Scripture is that God has given us all very different gift sets. You're so different from the person sitting next to you, even though you you may see a lot of similarities, you're uniquely gifted. Designed so specifically. And God desires to use you in the most effective way. And sometimes in our life, we'll be living and probably not even working and using our gifts in the greatest ability that we can. So God is going to shift something around to help redirect us, to get us more focused on what he wants to do. As I thought about this, I'm like, man, what's the first time I can remember God doing this in my life? And it was when I was in junior high, and I was at, started at Magic Mountain, of all places. Uh, Back then, you know, computers were not, nobody had a personal computer then, but they had a computer lab that just opened there. Like, are you kidding? Computers? You know, so, you know, we run in there looking for like the Whopper computer or something like that. We go in there, and uh, they had this program on these computers that just said, you know, um, something to the idea of how do you know what you should be doing for the rest of your life? So uh, uh, what are you designed to do? Something of who knows the title was. But I just remember saying, oh, let's just, I'll just take it. I didn't care about the test as much, the fact that I got to play with a computer. So, but I'm taking this, I'm answering all these questions. I remember it, it said four things at the end. It says, you should probably, you'll probably end up doing one of these four things. It says you'll either be a, uh, a police officer, a paramedic, a pastor, or a pilot. I'm like, weird, huh? A police officer, that could be fun. Uh, paramedic, ooh, I've thought about being like an ER doctor. Maybe, I, could, I like that. Um, a pastor, that is lame. Uh-uh. Uh, pilot, I want to be a pilot. I thought about it, and I was so excited about being a pilot. Um, I was so excited. And I, I remember I, I started looking into this stuff, and I'd heard that you had to have like 20-20 vision uh, to be able to go and be a pilot. You have, couldn't have correct vision. I remember going to an eye doctor and having him check my eyes, and my mom was there. And I remember it came out like 2025, and at that moment I knew that dream was fading. And it wasn't a big traumatic thing. I was kind of bummed for a second, but I'm like, all right, hold on. as a kid, you know, you just kind of move on. But God actually shut that whole thing out of my mind, and I started having my mind open for what it was. You know, later on I ended up going to Biola, considered ministry. And then as I was pursuing ministry, I became a police officer, 
through when I was in college. I was in a graduate program, a master's program at Cal State Northridge for public administration. And partway through that program, I get called into ministry. I had to rethink that. Every time, I've, it seems like so many of my decisions, the Lord had to really redirect me. Left-hand turns on different things. That's not uncommon for me. Think through your life. Sometimes God wants to redirect us. He does that. There's a great verse. Jeremiah 29, 11, I know what I'm planning for you, says the Lord. I have good plans for you, not plans to hurt you. I'll give you hope and a good future. But a lot of us think the opposite. If I give my life to God, uh uh-uh, it's going to be a life of misery. Uh, He's going to make me move to a jungle, (laughs) have no fun. Uh, I have to become Amish or something. I don't want to do that. (laughs) I have to have my hair like those people on crazy Christian TV. I don't, uh uh-uh, I don't want to be like that. You think, I don't know what God's going to do to me, but I don't want that. And so sometimes we honestly have this fear of what's it going to be like if we turn to God. Um, I want to encourage you with something. God's plan for my life, your life, is always bigger than our plan. It's bigger. Because his perspective is so much greater. We see a peace, and God literally sees the beginning of time to the end of time all at the same time. Sovereign, omniscient, knows all, he sees all. So he knows exactly how to direct our life for the best purposes because he knows how it will all end. That's got to give us a lot of comfort. And it's got to challenge us too that our little dreams, our little ambitions are good to have, but sometimes God may redirect that. And that's God. Um, 1 Corinthians 2.9 says, no one's ever seen, no one's ever heard. My favorite phrase, no one has even imagined. No one's even imagined what wonderful things God has ready for those who love him. Can you imagine great things? I feel like I can imagine great things. I like to kind of dream, be visionary. I love that stuff. Not even Walt Disney could compare to this. He can't even imagine what God would have in store. Remember that. Who knows what he's planning for eternity and let alone your life for now. So how do we take a step? How do we learn to follow better? Let me give us a a step as we ponder this one. And it's simple. And I'd say this. Consider obvious options. Consider obvious options. If something is now right in front of you, like a girl you used to date, (laughs) consider obvious options. Is God putting something right in front of you? Look at that. Consider that. Pray about it. Talk to godly people about it. I did that. Found every godly person I know. Should I get engaged to this girl? And all of them had the same reaction. They chewed me out for not doing it yet. (laughs) Okay, I I hear you. Uh, God was speaking so clearly. But consider obvious options. What's he doing? Start bringing that stuff before the Lord. What do you do when life doesn't go as planned? How do you respond to God? You first listen. Secondly, you follow him. The third step, I'd I'd say, is surrender to him. Surrender to him. He's fine-tuning you. He's fine-tuning you. You know, we've learned that God's plan is bigger than our plan. We've also learned that God's plan for our life is much harder than our plan. Just remember that. When you begin following God, we're not saying this is going to be easier. 
it probably will get harder. Uh, this goes against our wiring. We always want the easy way out. We will always look for the shortest line in the store. We'll always look for the closest parking place. Even if you have to wait 10 minutes, but you could have walked three minutes if you would have parked farther. But we always, there's something in us. We always want the easiest thing out. And sometimes people will turn from God when it feels like the easy way is not happening. We get frustrated with God. Bible says we shouldn't be surprised by this at all. First Peter 4.12 says that. It says, dear friends, do not be surprised at the painful trial you are suffering as though something strange were happening to you. Don't think this is strange. And they're referring here to persecution because they're now believers. They're getting attacked for doing what's right. Sometimes in life, even when we do things that are right, things are going to seem like they're going wrong. So just know that's not a strange thing that's necessarily occurring. Why does this happen sometimes? Because God's not as interested in our comfort as he is in our character. He's refining us. He is fine-tuning us. Think about Mary for a second. When she said yes to God, she's going to follow God in this uh, place she's calling her. How much easier did it get? People literally probably thought she was crazy. I guarantee they didn't believe her. Would you? She knows people would whisper when they'd walk by, saying things, doubting her character. They'd look at Joseph and think, who are you? You know, obviously your wife. Either you did this or someone else, and if it was someone else, why are you with her? They questioned her. Then Mary does something that you think nobody would do. Days before she's going to be delivering, she rides a donkey for days from Nazareth to Bethlehem. How many women in their third trimester would want to take that journey? No way. When she gets there, it doesn't get any easier. As you know the story, they're just trying to find a place to stay. She's about to deliver. And there's no mother there. There's no grandma. There's no relatives to be alongside her for this amazing moment. She's absolutely isolated, alone, away from the support of family, in a strange place, literally in a stable, about to give birth. Do you think that she may have wondered, like, Lord, if this is you, what is going on? What is going on? Why in the world would God do that? Two quick insights. I think one is simple. God could have come any way he wanted to. He could have ridden on a meteor. He could have. But God came as a baby because he didn't want to scare us. He wanted to save us. He wanted us to be able to relate to him. What better way to see someone growing up, living a life before his father, to model it? What about for Mary? Why was this a good thing? Do you think this blew all of Mary's expectations out of the window of what life may be giving birth to the king of kings? She's not in a palace. She's in a stable. Probably brought the deepest sense of humility not pride in herself, not thinking this is a glorious, glamorous thing, kept her very humble, probably helped to refine her character through what's going to be some very hard days because one day she's going to have to look at her son upon that cross. It's not an easy life. It's going to get harder. The Bible says there's really only one way to please God. 
It's not through ritual. It's not through um, religion or regulations. It's Hebrews 11, chapter 6. I mean, chapter 11, verse 6. It says, without faith, it's impossible to please God. So even when our life has taken a turn, we have a choice how we're going to respond to him. It's a test. We're going to trust him in it. Are we going to trust him? You know how Mary responded, and it was Luke one thirty eight says, but may it be as you have said, and chapter 1 of Luke, verse 45 said, blessed is she who has, been, who has believed that what the Lord said to her will be accomplished. Um, I'm not sure where you're at this Christmas. You might be uh, a little discouraged. Uh, you might be a little overwhelmed. We heard from Pat today that we have two weeks till Christmas. Ah, uh, So you might be starting to feel a little stress of that. I like to wait till the day before Christmas to do my shopping because it's only men at the mall. It's kind of a manly thing. <laughs> um, I don't know where you're at. But if you're feeling stressed, but this honestly might be the very first Christmas since the divorce. This might be the first Christmas since the death of a loved one. And if you were honest and you looked at 2006, you'd like, I don't know how this is going to work out. I don't know if this relationship is going to turn into an engagement. I don't know if this marriage is going to last. I don't know if I'll still have my job. And you don't know. Just hold on to the fact that no matter what happens in 06, that God will always walk with you through it. You won't be alone. You can always know this, that even if you've not walked with God or walking in his purposes, even up to this point, you can begin walking in that now and next year. No matter what you've done, you can always know that life is abundant personally, even if circumstances are falling apart, if you're walking in the very center of God's will and walking in the deepest sense of relationship with him. So if life has taken a turn, just know, surrender to him. I would like you to turn to one verse before we go to the last point. It's Hebrews chapter 12. It's verse 9. Hebrews 12, verse 9. It's a really encouraging verse. This is what it says. I'm going to actually just jump to verse 10. Our fathers disciplined us for a little while as they thought best. But God disciplines us for our good, that we may share in his holiness. Verse 11, no discipline seems pleasant at the time, but painful. Later on, however, it produces a harvest of righteousness and peace. Underline that. For those who have been trained by it. There is definitely a life that we can experience living right before God, living in the very center of his peace. It starts by surrendering. How do we take a step to surrender better? What's the step we can take? I'd simply say this. Pray prayers of release. Pray prayers of release. Let me help us with that a little bit. A lot of times when we're right in the middle of it, we are asking God, God, take it away. Take the problem away. And we focus our prayers on that problem. What I'm saying here is maybe shift your prayer focus. Start praying to your response to the problem more than the problem. Just acknowledge to God that you want to be able to follow him and not doubt him, question him at this time. Ask God to help you with your response. What do you do when life doesn't go as planned? How do you respond to God? Number one, you listen. Number two is follow him. Number three, surrender to him. Let's give one more. 
Number four, thank him. Thank him. Why would I say that? Because there's a good chance he's rescuing you from unseen trouble. Rescuing you from unseen trouble. When I was, uh, I used to work Vice for a while when I was working at LAPD. Or I'm still working it, but there's a season I was working Vice. And I had a, such a godly partner. He was a great training officer. And he used to do something that was really actually helpful for, to me. And occasionally, we'd be in a situation doing something. And every once in a while, just on the back of my collar, I'd feel just a little tap. And I knew it was my partner. Because he had more experience than I did. And he could see trouble coming that I couldn't see. It was his way of saying, back off. Pull back. And I always followed, didn't question it at the time. We'd go back, we'd debrief, and I'd go, I get it now. That helped me so much. Sometimes in life, when God redirects us, does something with our life, it's kind of like a tap on your collar. He might be redirecting your life. Proverbs 16.25 is a great scripture. It says, there's a path before each person, every one of us in this room, every single one of us, there's a path before us, and this is what it says, that seems right. It looks so good. It seems right. But we can't see around the corner like God can see it. And our choices may lead us to disaster if we're not really following the Lord. Um, For Joseph and Mary, it would have happened. They could have had disaster after the birth of Christ. In Matthew chapter 2, verse 13, it said, When they had gone, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream. Get up, he said. Take the child and his mother and escape to Egypt. Stay there until I tell you. For Herod, King Herod, is going to search for the child to kill him. So he got up, took the child and his mother during the night, and left Egypt, where he stayed until the death of Herod. And so was fulfilled what the Lord said through the prophet. Out of Egypt, I called my son. When Herod realized that he had been outwitted by the Magi. See, he had sent the Magi to find out where this kid was because he wanted to kill him. Magi didn't play along well. He was furious and he gave orders to kill all the boys in Bethlehem and its vicinity who were two years old and under in accordance with the time he had learned from the Magi. Now God had to rescue him. They got that great thing, another you know, angel or coming to him in a dream. Not sure how God will do it with us. But there is certain times that God will redirect us because he needs to rescue us from unseen trouble. Um, it could be as simple as you missing a phone call you thought you should get or missing an appointment or something coming up or it's bigger things. However it works out, thank him. He may be rescuing you from unseen trouble. How do we take a step to do this better? I'd simply say this. Thank him for his goodness. Thank him for his goodness. Of all the things to say, why would that be the recommendation? Because all of us have a first natural response to fall into the oldest temptation. This is the temptation that got Adam and Eve. This is the temptation that we've all probably fallen into. And it's the temptation when things aren't going right, we doubt that God has our very best intention in mind. It's the first thing we can jump to. Uh, God, I have to doubt you. I don't think you've got this covered right now. We jump to that. There's something within us that will want to be drawn into it. So no matter what has happened to you up to this point that's brought you here today or what's going to happen next year, dwelling on the very goodness of God is one of the most freeing things because we can't see the whole picture. So maybe when you pray, it's simply saying, Lord, I don't understand. In fact, I might not ever understand. But I know that you're good. 
my best intentions are at the forefront of your mind. So I want to walk like that. But I don't feel it. Help me walk obedient. I know you love me. It's a hard thing to pray. But it's one of the godliest things we can pray. What do you do when life doesn't go in plan, as planned? He's getting your attention. So what do you do? Anybody? Listen. He's redirecting your life, so? Follow him. He's fine-tuning you, so? Surrender. And he might be rescuing you from unseen trouble, so? Thank you. In all these things, how God works the circumstances of life, he's always working us towards his purpose, to walk with him and to live our life exactly as he's called us to live with him. Because he knows, he's preparing us for an ultimate meeting one day. We will stand before the Lord himself. He's not going to look like the baby Jesus. This is the king of kings in all his glory. You're standing before the God of the universe. There will be a question that we're all called on. What have you done with my son? This past year, many people have had to go before the Lord already. Rosa Parks, the civil rights icon. Luther Vandross, the musician. Pope John Paul II. Johnny Carson. Yesterday, it was Richard Pryor. They all stand before the Lord. And when we stand before the Lord, it could be one of the most amazing, joyous times of our life unless we've chosen to walk away from Him. So no matter what circumstances have come, maybe you're in this place today, you're kind of new to the church, you've been here for a while, and you've not even responded to the Lord yet, but you know enough to know that He's God. You know, that he's, you know enough that He's come, He's died on a cross, He's saved you, He's offering you salvation. He's asking you to turn away from your, living your life the way you want to live it and walk a life with him. He's offering you the greatest Christmas gift ever offered, his son, Jesus Christ. It doesn't matter if your background is Catholic. It doesn't matter if your background is Buddhist or Muslim or Mormon or Jewish. It doesn't matter. It all starts by acknowledging that he is God. Come in the flesh, died and rose, that all who live surrender their lives to him, get to live with him and for him for eternity. So let's bow our heads. And some of you may choose to respond to that now. You may be even sensing that God's calling you to say yes to Jesus right now. You know it's time. You know enough. I would ask you just to say, in your quietness of this place, Lord, I give you my life. I've been living my own plan. It's kind of unexpected today. I didn't imagine I'd be doing this or saying this. But Father, I want to live my life for you and with you. So forgive me for my sin. I turn away from it. I accept your Christmas gift of Jesus. I choose to follow you. I don't even know what all that means, but I know enough to know I need to say that and acknowledge you as God and offer my life to you as my gift in return. I want to live with you. And I just want to pray for any believer, whatever you're in the middle of, especially if you're in the middle of one of these unexpected moments in life, that you'd ask God to make you so pliable that you could listen in the real ways Follow him in the deepest sense. Surrender your life in new ways. And thank him from a very genuine and pure heart. That's what we ask, Lord, today in your name. Amen. Go ahead and stand up. I want to give you something before you uh, walk out. The final thought. Um, This is a great scripture.
Uh, it's not the NIV version, but just, just hear this. I think it underscores what we talked about today. It says, God teaches people through suffering and He uses distress to open their eyes. You ever had distress? Your eyes being open? It was the best thing that could have happened to me. And He goes on. I bet there's a lot of people in this room we could have that could stand up here on this platform and say, this was the best thing that could have happened to me. You could tell us your story. God does that a lot. And He's going to continue doing it. So I just want to wish you the merriest Christmas and pray that you will walk into the covering of God because you're walking in the most honest, authentic, and open relationship with Him that you ever have this year and next. God bless you guys. We will see you next week.